Good morning, everybody. It is Thursday, the 19th of August. Busy, busy, busy. We're not helped yesterday by a technical hitch, hence the podcast a little bit late yesterday. Apologies for that. Sorry, never apologize. Golden rule of newsletters, along with many other golden rules, like never mention AFL, politics, religion, or your competitors. Golden rules of newsletters for any of my newsletter competitors listening in. Oh, just broke a rule. Right, after a nine-point fall yesterday, we got belted first thing this morning we were down 73 as bhp rio and fortescue metals all got thumped on the back of a four percent fall in the iron ore price as i speak bhp down another 6.9 percent rio down 4.9 percent fortescue down 5.6 percent of course bhp yesterday made their strategic announcements they had good results and they abandoned or will abandon their dual listed structure and you'll see some articles in the afr today for instance about how this arbitrage has gone on for 20 years between the australian and uk listing and unwinding it has caused the share price in Australia to fall and gets rid of one of the most lucrative arbitrages for Australian hedge funds over the last 20 years. So that caused a drop yesterday, but really it's a one-off adjustment. But today, this looks driven by the iron ore price. And I've put a chart of BHP compared to the iron ore price in the strategy piece today. And let's make the point, as I've written a number of times, no matter how cheap the stock, no matter how cheap BHP or Rio or Fortescue, no matter how good BHP's results were, no matter how big their dividend was, no matter what brokers think now, correlation between BHP, Rio and Fortescue and the underlying commodity prices, particularly iron ore, will dictate the share price. All your current assumptions will change or have to change, including earnings estimates, PEs, yields, will have to change if the iron ore price fell over. So all the past numbers or the results from the last six months, fabulous as they may be, count for nothing if the iron ore price falls over. And that's what's happening at the moment. Share prices are going to follow the iron ore price and the iron ore price is falling. So despite what we might have written or said yesterday, that's what's happening now. And although you might think, oh, shock horror, I need to sell BHP. The truth of the matter is, is that this is almost certainly a buying opportunity for investors. Not yet, but in the short term, none of these stocks can defy gravity from planet iron ore. And at the moment, the iron ore price is in steep decline. So I wouldn't sweat it as an investor. Plus, most of you are trapped in by the desire to pick up the dividend, which goes X on September the 2nd. So you're you're trapped in the stock until at least September the 2nd. In the short term, the stock is oversold at the moment on RSI on a daily chart. Daily means short term, weekly means longer term. So it's oversold in the short term and one good day and it will probably tick a technical RSI buy signal and will write about it and people will think about buying it. But I do think this is looking a little bit more like a big top. If the market doesn't behave from here, then it probably is. If the market firms up, then it's probably a short-term buying opportunity. So on the lookout for whether this is a big top, but in the short term, if the market's behaving looking for the day it bounces. And for some of you, this is a much better opportunity to buy it for the dividend. 
ahead of the ex-dividend date on September the 2nd, and some of you might look to do that. I've written a separate section on BHP after getting an email from a member saying, when is BHP a screaming buy? If you look on the charts, if it's to stay in long-term uptrend, then 44 would be pretty good. It's currently at $44.47. 44 looks like bottom of the range breaks through there, then we're probably seeing a big top. Anyway, I'm not sure I'm adding any value there. So many ifs, buts, and maybes. Typical broker. Not really a broker anymore. I've put a chart of the ASX 200 in the strategy piece today. The market's just feeling a little bit wobbly. The Dow has moved 500 points and 400 points, or was down 500 points and 400 points at its extremes over the last couple of days. So there's a bit of volatility coming in, which is a bit of a warning sign. Volatility suggests indecision and often accompanies a change of trend. And that's if you care about the charts at all. And our market has had an RSI sell signal in the short term. Blinkered, you'd miss it. So coming off the top short term, obviously, but big trend is still up. We, as usual, are seeing results come thundering in. Lots of results today. Top of the pops is NWH Mining Services up 12.6% on results. Data 3 up 7%. Star Entertainment up 5%. And on the flip side, Treasury Wine Estates down 2% on results. Origin down 3%. S32 down 2.4%, which is probably not to do with the results, more to do with resources trending down. And we've got ASX up 1.1% and Newcrest pretty much unchanged on results amongst the bigger ones. Now, I wouldn't want to talk about it in any or at any length in the newsletter. It's more a topical thing than a stock market thing. But have a look in the strategy piece today at the charts of cases and deaths in US states. When you talk about risks in the market, the big risk appears to be at the moment, especially after the FOMC minutes overnight, the big risk is tapering. But let's just keep an eye out on COVID. It may well be that the pandemic is still the biggest risk to the markets. And have a look at the charts of case numbers in US states, and you'll see they are ripping up. In fact, in Florida, they're higher than they've ever been at the peak of the pandemic. Texas going the same way. And New York, and just have a look at the chart. Case numbers are ripping up in the US. And combined with that, you've got the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in the US, saying that there is data showing a worrying drop-off in vaccine efficacy over time. And the US is now recommending booster shots eight months after getting your jab. There is a clear message that the assumption of herd immunity is that whilst cases and vaccination is that whilst cases spike, deaths won't. But have a look in the strategy piece, you'll see that the raw death numbers are rising which suggests that herd immunity doesn't work or comes at a price, which includes having to accept a level of deaths. Florida deaths are almost back to their peak. Bottom line, just watch out, especially as Victoria hits 57 cases and New South Wales 681. Just watch out that we don't end up with a whole new pandemic based on the Delta variant. I am not uh, wanting to have any opinion on that, but simply as market observation, it is looking as though the US herd immunity assumption might be flawed, and we'll see what they do with that. Maybe they'll just accept a higher level of casualties and move on, or maybe they'll start to lock down anyway. We're not out of it yet as a stock market, clearly. A few other quick things. Blue 
Bloomberg talking about the bounce in Chinese tech stocks has run out of steam. If you remember, they fell, the Chinese market fell about 20% and then rallied. Chinese Ministry of Information Technology has put out a statement yesterday naming 43 apps, including WeChat, which is Tencent's and Alibaba's app that has illegally transferred user data and they're ordering the parent companies to make rectifications or be punished. Also, Afghanistan appears to be calming down, obviously, not that it was a market factor anyway. Facebook getting highly criticized for being a platform teeming with deadly vaccine misinformation. I was surprised to see that they have a statement from the Vice President of Integrity. Is that an oxymoron for Facebook? And then everybody's writing about FOMC minutes overnight, suggestion that the tapering decision might come before the end of the year. The majority of participants, as they call them, in the Fed meeting were suggesting next year. They are going so slowly on this. Tapering is obviously a major market issue, but I can't help feeling that it's going to do the opposite of what we expect. We expect it to be the pin that pops the balloon. It's so obvious that it should be that it will probably, when they announce tapering, the market will probably rally for some perverse reason, which we will only understand after it happens. But it is so predictably negative, it will probably turn out to be a massive relief when they eventually announce tapering and the market holds its levels. It's slightly entertaining to watch the FOMC as they try to engineer taper tranquility whilst risking a taper tantrum. I don't know whether any of you watch Survivor, but in lockdown I am driven to reality TV and the FOMC's effort to balance this financial market euphoria with reality is much like watching one of these immunity challenges where participants have to stack a tower of blocks and try to keep it from falling over by moving extremely slowly as they go to get another block. Anyway, survivor watchers might understand what I'm trying to say. It's like reality TV watching the FOMC try and hold the financial markets up by doing everything extremely slowly. Good news, of course, is that they are paranoid about a tantrum and whilst they are, they will find every excuse to delay. And whilst they do, the good times will continue to roll. I notice Bitcoin's resurrection has run into the buffers a little bit. If it's a buffer, a barometer, sorry, of market exuberance, then it's telling you market exuberance is just tiring a little bit. Right, a couple of other things. I loved yesterday's quote of the day as I feel a little bit older every day these days. You can be young without money, but you can't be old without it. Yes, the wisdom of someone who's old, no doubt. I've also got a paragraph today about what do employers do about staff vaccinations? We have the same issue at Marcus today. I've bothered to go and get jabbed. So do I really want to go into an office with people that haven't been jabbed? Haven't been bothered to be jabbed? Or are conscientious objectors to being jabbed? How do we all handle that as employers and employees? It's clear that we haven't got the green light yet to mandate no jab, no job, although Qantas is obviously testing that case, as is SPC Ardmona in Australia. And we have a member who's just emailed me from Saudi Arabia saying that they have decisively rolled out the vaccine and have strict rules. There is almost zero debate, he says, about taking the vaccine here. And if you don't, you will lose your job. Thankfully, Marcus today is not a democracy which tends to breed wishy-washy people and attitudes. 
Marcus today's dictatorship, and I've yet to make my decision, but I jest, by the way, or do I? But we might take, or if you're an employer, you might take some guidance from the big investment banks on Wall Street. They are apparently desperate to get people back in the offices, and they're all watching each other as they look for a September to re- sorry a September return to work after the Labor Day holiday. But under what conditions? Uh, Just to give you some of the ideas that are going around, Morgan Stanley are requiring proof of vaccine for staff and are barring unvaccinated employees from entering their offices in New York. They are also insisting that vaccinated staff provide documentary proof of their shots rather than just relying on verbal statements. Morgan Stanley also show that 95% of their employees have been vaccinated. Goldman Sachs is insisting unvaccinated employees wear masks. Might as well wear a sign on your forehead saying unvaccinated or vaccinated. Goldman Sachs is invoking Let's try this one, is invoking employee COVID testing twice a week. Not sure I want to be waving cotton buds on long sticks around in my office, but there you go. Someone has to do it. JP Morgan requires all staff to wear masks in common areas. Employees who aren't vaccinated can attend indoor, can't attend, sorry, indoor employee events and must be tested twice a week. Bank of America insists all employees wear masks except whilst at their desks, but again, almost all their employees are vaccinated and Citigroup has told staff they'll need to get vaccinated before they return to the office. And I think boringly a lot of the Twitter sphere will be full of people making up rules about what employers can and can't do to them. I think as a team, Marcus today just needs to prioritise the well-being of their colleagues and hopefully we'll all just get vaccinated and get on with it. Right, on this day, 19th of August, in 1920, women got the vote in the US. In 1969, it was the last day of Woodstock. In the 1227, Genghis Khan died at the remarkable age of 65. And Butch Cassidy in 1896 held a meeting to form a train robbers syndicate that became known as the Wild Bunch. Right, other stuff today. Henry and I are still tag teaming on trying to write up results. Today we have done CSL. This is writing up results the day after results. As I said yesterday, results are quite a good time to reassess stocks. They've de-risk themselves for the next three to six months, if not longer. And the reaction on results often starts a trend or sets a trend or confirms a trend for the next three or six months. So it's a good time to have a look at stocks. We wrote up a number of stocks yesterday, including BHP, Magellan Financial Group, ARB and Breville, BRG. And today we have written up CSL, Domino's, Woodside and Promedicus. So I won't run through all those, but go and have a look at what we've said about them. I did the CSL write-up and they had a bit of a disappointing outlook statement. I think the stock is still a quality long-term stock, ROE of 25%, yield of little interest to income investors at 1%, but on a high PE of 42 times and with a bit of a dull outlook statement, only looking at 2 to 5% growth next year. 
and with the pandemic blowing up again, which might well impact blood plasma collection and weigh on the stock or continue to weigh on the stock. I'm not sure this is a buy at the moment. It's underperformed ever since the post-pandemic recovery started. The risk is another pandemic blows up. I think this one stays in the underperform column for the moment, despite a bit of a bounce this year, which is still in train. So short term, short term, no fuss. The stock's up again today, up 2%. No reason to sell it. But I think if you were looking for life-changing gains, you'd be looking to buy CSL for the long term sometime in this period, but only for the long term. Short term looks a little bit subdued. Right, as I leave you, our market doing really rather nicely, bouncing a little bit. Having been down 73, we're down 29. BHP, Rio and Fortescue doing all the damage today. Banks hardly changed, all behaving themselves. ARB and BRG, which we wrote up yesterday, up 3% and 4.5% today. And that's about it. Just as a sideline, I don't know whether any of you have seen King's Cross ER. My daughter is, of course, a medical student graduating this year. For those that aren't squeamish, see if you can catch the King's Cross ER episode where they do open heart surgery on a stab victim in ER. Just an incredible piece of... TV. Right, as I leave you, Dow Futures giving us nothing. Down 20. You have a fabulous day and I will speak to you soon.